My name is Logan Draper, and this is Modern Mad Men, episode number 72. And today we did our first ever video Skype call with Joseph Brewer, a.k.a. Syntax the Terrific. We got connected with Joseph through a longtime listener, a good buddy, Andy. Thanks, Andy. And Joseph and Realmatic and some of those guys, they have a song called Mad Men. It's a great song. It fits us perfectly. So it's our new intro. We love it. But through getting to know Joseph and follow him on Twitter, found out a lot more about him. I found out he wrote an awesome book called What is Sport, which is what Jared and I argue about all the time. Are certain activities sports? Are the lumberjack games sports? You know, is NASCAR a sport? So we, we broke it down. He's got an amazing kind of lens at how you can look at this. So definitely worth looking at the book. Um, we'd love you to take a few seconds to hit subscribe um, and give us some feedback. So let's go. Just some old heads from out of space like we come from a whole other time and place. Mad men. Mad, mad men. Man, I think we're live. We made it. Great. We made it to being live. It probably wasn't Great. as stressful on your end as it was mine, but I... Uh, I'm still, lear- I'm still learning you, the tech. If you, if you could, if you could see how I've got my uh, my phone jerry rigged on this end, though, I was pretty anxious about it. I need to send you a picture of how our setup is because my phone, uh, I'm using my phone as the camera, and then I've got it on a like a music stand. I haven't even we haven't even invested yet. We have all this technical equipment in our studio, and I'm just using a computer like a. Um, bandstand like it's ridiculous i don't know if i should be embarrassed or if it's serendipitous but i literally have my phone on my mic stand right it's perfect now. so i have i have i have it i have it in the uh i have it in sort of the trapping of the condenser mic it's like propped on there and then i have like the half like foam board like behind it so that's exactly how my set that's is. perfect see yeah. It's perfect. Adjustable, everything. Man, I I greatly appreciate your your time to sit down with us. We've we've been talking about you on last episodes because uh, through our buddy Andy Coomer, he's just like, hey, heard this song. He's like, you got to listen to it. Um, and it was a Mad Men song, so we're like, hey, we got to reach out to these guys. And then I've been following you on social for the last um, few weeks and just realized, like, man, you uh you're an entertaining and a talented dude. And so thanks for being here. Man, if you if you just want to take a few seconds, I know we don't spend a lot of time on this, but just kind of tell people a little bit about, you know, who you are and a little bit what, what you do. Yeah, so um I just appreciate you having me on. Um and it's a, a privilege that you and Jared would have uh thought enough about uh what we had done to use the song. I actually listened to uh, I listened to a handful of y'all's episodes, including including that one, and it was uh, really entertaining y'all, uh, you know, launching that, uh, our song is the, the theme for the show. So just appreciate, appreciate you having me on. So I, you know, you, you, you came about me and, um, some of the stuff I'm associated with through music. So for the last, um, 30 years, uh, I've been doing conventional hip hop records and music and um, uh, associated with a group called Deep Space Five that probably has the most sort of uh, profile, although all of our profiles pretty uh, modest. And then um, I've had my own sort of uh, solo uh, projects uh, under a couple titles, but including Syntax, the Terrific. The song that uh, you all are using is on a record, and uh, DJ and I go by the, um, the name Mid-Century Modern. So I've been doing music for for a long time. I'm a I'm a lawyer by trade, um, so I do a, a lot of writing, kind of in both boxes, both in my vocation and avocation. And uh, out of that, um, sort of a sort of a crossroads of those two things, I, I ran a song blog uh, for about four or five years, where I was blogging uh, cultural and uh, political stories in song. And out of that project grew this definition of sport. Um, and I've written an entire book on it and it was just published. So, yeah, it's, and it's a great book and we'll put in the description where people can find it and drive people to it. And we're definitely gonna talk a lot about that today. Cause I've had some people that great. found out we were talking that had questions for you. Um, good, but how'd you get into, um, hip hop? Yeah. So I grew up in the Baltimore, Washington era, uh, you know, mid eighties, early nineties. And that was just kind of the, the music of my youth and the community I grew up in. It was just the suburbs kind of in between DC 
and um, Baltimore, that's what we listened to. And so by age of 14, I was kind of writing and messing around with friends. And then by 17, 18, um, I was playing out a little bit. I went out um, right after spring break of my senior year. I went out to West Covina, California and recorded my first demo tape there and um, just kind of been kind of doing it. That's awesome. And it's, it's a, you know, it was obviously it was a time where um, hip hop music was still sort of predominantly urban and um, kind of by people of color and people of struggle. Um, but I mean, I, I think <clears throat> not giving away my exact age. I mean, I think it's, um, it, it's, it's just the music of, of kind of my generation, regardless of your demographic. Yeah, yeah. And I'm fortunate to, um, to have a, a real small, small part of it. Yeah. I don't know if I should tell you this or not, but when I was in high school, uh, one of my best friends and I started a rap group called Whiteout, and yeah. uh, it was kind of a joke. And then I, I fell in love with it deeply. And then I actually, when I was twenty, put out a mixtape, and like just sampled beats, put a mixtape out, got it featured on Rapzilla, and uh, like just fell in love with like just hip hop and songwriting. And because I can't sing, so it's like, hey, I got to find right. a way to tell these stories somehow. Um, but I love it, man. And, and you're and the way that you write, I think is, is super impressive. Um, just like the storytelling and the lyricism. I mean, it's, it's very impressive. I appreciate it. I, I need to check it out. No, it's, I no, mean, no, 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 uh, no, don't check it out. That was, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, I mean, that was like our garage band, right? I mean, I think there were a lot of kids that, um, that grew up, um, doing some hip hop on the side, no matter where you came from. And it's an, ex it's an accessible medium. It's an explicit medium. And I mean that not in the, um, not, not in the offensive sense. I just mean, it, it's a very, it's a very direct medium. Um, and there, it, it's really like, it's really unlike any other genre where sort of the breadth of what you can articulate in a rap song is really, really wide. I mean, it gets kind of pigeonholed, um, as sort of carrying certain types of themes, but honestly, I think the thing that um, that hip, the culture hip hop is always supported is that's authenticity. So as long as you're doing your best to sort of reflect um, kind of where you come from and your perspective, um, there's usually a pretty good good audience for it. Yeah, it's hard for me to, uh, and I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's the same for you. It's hard for me to go back and listen because it was called Sounds uh, Sounds of the Suburb, and right. um, it was a it was definitely like it was a Christian album. Like everything behind it was just gospel centered. And I listen to it now and I'm like, man, there was so much better way to tell that story and not be so yeah. cheesy. Um, and so some of my friends definitely, um, I'll walk into a room up here at work and they'll be playing it and just, uh, I don't think they're making fun of me, but probably. No, they're, they're making yeah. fun of me. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, man. Well, no, it's a, it's, it's a, um, and I, so, I mean, that's just a function of, like that's just a function of age and what it means to sort of grow as a creative. I mean, there are obviously like pro prodigious exceptions to every rule, you know, the, you know, the, the, the guy or girl in any discipline who's just exceptional and genius at, at 17, 18 years old, but eight, 18 years old, but most of us kind of go through a maturation, but with hip hop and especially for those of us that, um, you know, for white kids, for lack of a better, uh, more delicate phrasing for white kids. I mean, I think there's a balance between like being authentic about your experience and, and allowing that to dictate how you talk or participate in hip hop, but also honoring what rap is about. And I think there's, there's a real, there's a real delicate balance because sometimes, um, I, and, and hip hop doesn't belong to anybody, but I think there needs to be sensitivities yeah. about um about how you do it and it sometimes it can come off as disingenuous if you aren't sort of if people aren't sort of obeying some of the kind of the the, the traditional tones um tonal pieces of what uh, hip-hop's about so yeah i definitely think that was a like a mental struggle for me um like because i kind of did it as a joke and then it then i started like kind of doing some gigs and stuff but i, I wouldn't say it felt like like I was a, like a culture vulture. Um, but I definitely was like, it was that feeling of like, man, I really, if I'm going to do this again, I'm going to do it as well as I can. Cause I think that, um, this art deserves that. And, um, nobody ever made me feel that way, but it definitely was one of those things of like what I grew up in hip hop. I listened to what I was doing, didn't reflect that. 
which isn't a bad right. thing. But if I'm not going to do it with excellence, man, I'm, I'm I got to get out of here. No, I'm with you. Yeah, but you guys, I mean, the stuff y'all put out, I mean, it's super impressive. It like it was a big honor for us. Like we, we had a, an intro song, and we we're like, man, we want something hip hop, and uh, man, it just it just all worked together, and it's like our favorite thing. We've got it on all the buttons, so we play it like all the time, man. It's it's super dope. I'm glad. I'm really glad it fits the bill, and obviously, it's super appropriate for the title of your podcast. So, so let's talk um, about why in the world. Are you the guy to write the book, What is Sport? So that's a, that's a great question. And um, so I, I, sort of, I sort of start with two qualifications. The first is I'm really, really serious about the definition of sport. So even as it's sort of lighthearted and a little irreverent um, and jokey in spots, um, I really, really think this is sort of the defining test about definition of sport. The second is, and I say it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but not not fully tongue-in-cheek. I'm 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 sort of just a humble me- messenger on this, right? So my argument is this has sort of been latent subconsciously in the cosmos, and just nobody has identified it. Mm. Um, why why I've been um, why I've been tapped to be the vessel of this important discovery, I, I'm not. I'm not fully sure. Um, uh, I uh, I played baseball in college a little bit. Sports has been important to me, probably no more important than it is to millions and millions of other people. And uh, um, uh, I write a lot. I utilize a lot of sort of analytical tests in uh, in my legal work, and so those things sort of combined. Um, to kind of allow me to sort of put this kind of all on paper in a way that I don't think has been done before. Yeah. So what, what would you say is your favorite, what's your favorite sport? And that, and that yeah, may be so, an unfair question. No, it's not an unfair question. I mean, I think at this point I enjoy playing basketball the most. I enjoy probably watching football the most. I mean, baseball was sort of my first love or was my, the sport that I sort of, uh, dedicated most of my time to my, my son plays, but um, I think I I enjoy. I don't know. It, it's all good. I love the NBA playoffs about as much as anything. But I, probably football is probably probably the thing I, I enjoy the most. This was a fun uh, NBA playoffs. It was it was a really was good wild NBA. Playoffs. I think we had about as as little predictability. Uh, in the NBA playoffs that we had in a long time. What did you, what so, did you think is, about the whole like Drake storyline? Yeah. I mean, he's just completely, uh, he's just completely out of control. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, and I, I guess, I guess the Drake curse is sort of, you know, you know, officially squashed at least in this per- particular instance. I mean, you know, it's nice to have, I will say this, and this is, I don't mean this, pejoratively you know it's nice for canada to have like a face of its glamour and celebrity and um i mean i think he fills that role and kind of he makes he makes toronto he makes toronto sort of global in that sense and matter bigger than Um, just a basketball team that happens to be located in, Tor- in Toronto. It really kind of feels like something that Canada owns, I guess. So. Yeah. But he's pretty pretty outrageous to be giving shoulder rubs in the middle of the game to the coach. So. Yeah, I couldn't. We On our last podcast, we were laughing so hard that he gave like a post-game interview like he had like he had played in the series. Yeah, like he had really, he had really suffered through the six-game series with the Warriors. Oh, it was the best. And he started talking about chips and dip. And it's my favorite <laughs> clip now of this year. It is it. I don't even. I don't understand what chips are, um, but man, it. I think it's so funny that I mean he he built a storyline for himself. He did, and uh, it's genius in a lot of ways. If you don't love Drake or Toronto, it's probably the worst. But I think it added. I mean, not that 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 series needed any more of a storyline with injuries and chaos and quiet hitting the shot in the series. But I mean, there's so much to get there. Uh, but he definitely added to it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, the Raptors are kind of a, I mean, they're kind of like uh, San Antonio North and they're a blue collar team. None of them are, um, none of them are trying to sort of, um, you know, 
demand a lot of the spotlight for themselves. And so, you know, Drake did sort of, you know, carry that water and draw a lot of, you know, you know, Kawhi's not going to, no. Kawhi's not going to be um, out in front talking a lot of trash. And so Drake does that and it's kind of harmless to the Raptors because he draws all the fire for it. So I haven't, I haven't given it much thought in that vein, but I think all in all, it's probably sort of a net a net good for the Raptors. So, especially in light of the fact they won. Yeah, absolutely. Are you a uh, are you a Dallas Cowboys fan? <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> I figured. Definitely not. Who are you? Why'd you ask? Who are you a fan of? Yeah, I'm a Red, I'm a lifelong Redskins fan. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, would you? I mean, you wouldn't if I was trying to figure out why. You, no, no, you wouldn't. Have. I mean, I grew up in that area, and so it was weird because there were so mil- many military transplants. So at church on Sundays, you know, in the 80s, when it was just sort of like the, the zenith of the Cowboys-Redskins rivalry, it was always our church was sort of split down the middle between transplants from Dallas um, and the, you know, the native uh, Washington fans. But no, I'm, I'm a Redskins fan, which has been pretty torturous yeah. for the last 20, yeah. 20 plus years. Yeah, I, uh, I've grown up my whole life a Cowboys fan, and yeah. I don't I don't remember. I mean, I was pretty young, like – you know, in the, I mean, I remember the late nineties and you know, some of it, but really like in terms of like being like an adult sports fan. Um, I'm sorry. I forgot you guys are in Texas. That's right. That was, um, I should have been, I should have either been more sensitive no. or more uh, antagonizing. I feel like you know, the Dallas, the Cowboys you either love because you're from here yeah. or you hate them. There's not going to be, or you're, or, or you're a front runner. I mean, they suffer the same problem as like the Lakers and the Yankees and Duke. I mean, they're, they're just a portion of the national fan base that's gonna kind of yeah. just glom on to them because they're high profile and successful yeah it so. stinks to be that you team. guys do have a lot of a bandwagon fans too. yeah it stinks to be that team that front runner team and then not have the success yeah. you need because it's okay if people Correct. hate you if you're the patriots yeah. when you're the cowboys no, right. it's like oh man it's weird it's a weird place to bandwagon but people do yeah it. yeah we're i feel like every year we're saying it's going to be the rangers cowboys um and Mavericks are gonna win, you know, and it's it's been a rough it's been a rough uh, stretch. Man, I called that um I call is it is it already 2011 now? I called that 2011 Mavericks championship in December the year before. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, it was on that it was down that song blog that I was doing, but I called it in a song that they were gonna win the championship. That that's year. impressive. I didn't think I mean that wasn't their best team over the last like ten or fifteen years, and it just right place, right time and Put it to one of the best teams ever. But even before Christmas, they were running teams. I mean, it was a it was a shot in the dark, but it, they were running teams uh, even in the regular season that year. And uh, anyway, they they somehow figured it out because it, it looked bad even in the beginning of that of that finals. It did. So I don't know how how we want to do this. I don't want to get. I don't know if you want to get too much into the definition. I think people should read the book for sure. Well, I'll um I appreciate that. Um, but I, I'm not worried about a spoiler. Alert. Okay, cool. I actually think, I actually think the more I talk about it publicly, it's actually going to help people, um, sort of digest the book. I mean, the book is, um, the book is not super long, but it's, it's kind of written in a stylized way. And, um, you know, some people aren't going to have the, uh, aren't gonna have the desire to sort of pound through all of it. So I, I'm good. I'm actually, it, it, I'm actually good talking about it in as much detail as, you'd like me to no, I mean I think it's I think it's a super interesting topic because I think that we I mean if we went back and cut together you know this is our 72nd episode I guarantee we've talked argued about a sport 40 or 50 times I mean right we have so many hours of it and I mean this has gone back to junior high with people just right everybody you start arguing and obviously the the natural ones come up like is NASCAR sport or um you know is is horse racing is that a, is that really truly a sport um, right. but yeah, I'd be interested, man. Like, I don't know what would be the best route for you to go, but like what, like when you're going down and breaking down, what is a sport? Um, how do you break it down? Well, I, I think the, I think the first place to start is kind of to sort of set the stage and you've kind of alluded to it. It sounds like your audience has a lot of sort of natural interest, but there's certainly a segment of people that say this can't possibly be an issue in the first instance, who really cares about it. And I think, I think what you find is I think I think you're either a person who knows why this is an issue yeah. because you've been debating about it your whole life, like like you just described, or you're a person who actually thinks you kind of you kind of don't have an appreciation for the debate 
and or you just don't care about sports a whole lot. And what I've actually found is that person almost tends to care the most about it once the issue is implicated. So that's the person. And I, I don't want to be some of the things I'm saying, I'm sort of carrying the water for the argument on the other side. So it's, it might, some of these things may sound a little misogynistic, but that's precisely the person that's going to rush the defense of cheerleading, right? So they, they think the argument about sport doesn't matter. But as soon as you happen to say or someone happens to say in passing, cheerleading is a sport, that, that's precisely the person that will explode and demand that it is a sport. Yeah. So the truth is... In my experience, about 100% of people, either consciously or subconsciously, actually really care about this topic. Um, and they, yeah, and they just may not know it. Um, I think the second thing that I would say before I kind of get into the, the definition is um, the reason why this is kind of an issue is because we live in sort of a game culture. So because humans have been now on this planet for a really, really long time and our day-to-day uh, schedule does, is not predominated by sort of survival and, you know, fending off uh, neighboring tribes and we have all this, like, we have all this recreational luxury built in, we gamify everything. So we literally turn everything into a game and we like, you know, we just instinctively like to score and identify victors. And so we're here we are in 2019, we have, you know, double digit around the clock sport channels. We have hundreds and hundreds of sport media outlet outlets dedicated to sport coverage and debate, sports debate culture. And we all are just like swimming in this morass of activities that we don't know whether they sort of fit the bill or not. And so that's sort of the backdrop in my mind to why, um, and this is where, this is where I sort of started, why, you know, at, at the end of the day, none of it matters, but if any of it matters, this matters, right? Yeah. So it's like, it, it either, it, it, none of it matters, but if we're all going to pretend in the fiction that it matters, certainly being able to define sport sort of sort of matter. So that's the backdrop of kind of why um you know why I thought it was kind of worth putting down. I've talked a lot. Do you want me to go ahead and launch into sort of the the sort of test itself a little bit? I would bit? love that. Okay. <laughs> so and I, I think a nice sort of I think a nice sort of um sort of point of reference is you're in Jared's conversation when you know a couple podcasts back so you you nicely uh he, he sort of jared asked he said you know can you remember some of the activities that he was you know that he characterized that i that i'd characterized one way or the other and you immediately mentioned nascar and uh and the lumberjack games oh yeah and if you might recall yeah if you might recall jared his his immediate instinct was to um was to defend the athleticism of the of lumberjacks, right? So his his immediate instinct was to say, um, these guys are really strong. It's really hard. Um, I could never do it, sort of thing. And that's sort of our intuition that this that the the line of demarcation between kind of sports. And other activities must rise and fall on whether the activity requires enough physicality. But the problem with that is a lot of things require physicality, right? So, you know, felling a tree requires a lot of physicality. Building a home requires a lot of physicality. Birthing a child requires a lot of athleticism and physicality. There are tons, you know, jumping out of an airplane. And all of these things most of these things we don't call sport in a, in a colloquial way. But the other thing is we have this sort of subconscious instinct that they're just not sports. And so what happens in NASCAR is a great example. So we, we look at NASCAR and we say, that just doesn't feel like a sport. And we then begin making these kind of contrived arguments about the athleticism required 
when we know it requires a lot of athleticism. So whether it's lumberjack games or NASCAR, we know we know those things actually require a high level of athleticism and probably more than is required by, this is an example I use in the book of, you know, your Aunt Pearl playing volleyball at a picnic, right? I mean, these things are fun to, you know, uh, free climbing El Cap requires sure. way more. I mean, it requires, it requires the most supreme version of human athleticism and way more than, again, badminton at your at your, um, at your family uh, picnic. But most people would say badminton's a sport and most people would be confused about whether free solo cr- climbing is a sport. And then you're sort of stuck making these kind of weird, these m- weird relative and sometimes, and most of the time sort of false arguments about the relative athleticism required. And so what, what I realized was, is that what we're subconsciously reacting to is not some differential in athleticism. We're actually subconsciously reacting to activity out of context. And so the, the fundamental test is if, if an activity has a pre-existing non-competitive context, in other words, its original purpose was non-competitive, that it is not a sport, even if it later is made competitive. Now, it can be something that I've deemed an athletative. It's a word I came up with. So it still is something. It's just not a sport. So when you watch NASCAR, the reason you're having problems calling it a sport is not because it's not super demanding physically. It's because it's just driving around. It's funny because we always go to NASCAR. And I remember, I think it's been maybe eight to ten years. I don't know how long it's been. But they did like some kind of like athletic competition with these NASCAR drivers. And I can't remember who it was, but one of the guys tore his ACL on the first hurdle. And I remember Jared and I just being like, not a sport. Proof in the yeah, pudding. Like that, like well, that was see, like that, that was the lens. That's all we needed. That's well that and that's the way that's the way we sort of think about it. But I it, it, there's a there's a whole chapter in the book. So there is a physicality requirement to sport. And we can talk about it later if we want to. But we the, we we make there's a couple erroneous presuppositions we make, but one of them is that the caliber of the participant dictates whether it's a sport or not. But this goes back to this goes back to um, sort of your your aunt Pearl. The, if the if the rock if the rock played chess tomorrow, it wouldn't make by virtue of his supreme physical talents. It wouldn't all of a sudden make chess a sport. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that your aunt Pearl can't can't neutralize football as a sport if you put her in the pads and she she dies on the field doing yeah, yeah. it. So um, so. It, it, it actually just highlights that sort of point actually just highlights the problem with characterizing activities based on the physicality, because um, it just doesn't tell us anything about the activity itself, whether a super, a super talented athlete or a not so talented athlete is performing the, the activity. What was the, what was the hardest, like when you're, when you were processing through this, what was the hardest lens or like, what were the sports even that were the hardest to like, uh, I don't know. Right. Yeah. So the easily the hardest one for me was horse racing. And um, so by the pre-existing non-competitive context test, um, horse racing wouldn't qualify because um, it has a pre-existing non-competitive context. And that is transportation. People are on horses to move from one place for another. So just because you subsequently race them doesn't make it a sport. The other issue, and there's a, there's a, there's a chapter on whether or not it's a human activity. And uh, I make the argument that the human activity, the, the human contribution to the activity has to predominate. It has to be more than two thirds the work of the, the work being performed. So horse racing would, would fail basically at two points in the paradigm. Um, uh, and I just didn't want it to be a sport, truthfully. Um, but uh, there is there's an exception to the pre-existing non-competitive context rule, and that is the antiquities exception. It's a very it's a very important um, con- uh, exception. And basically, it says if if it was a sport in antiquity, 
it's a sport in modernity. And the reason that exception is so important is because, um, so in antiquity, all they had was sort of to, to compete in sport was sort of their basic sort of physical movement. So you had running events and throwing events. I mean, that's what our Greek Olympics was comprised of. Um, and so take, for instance, something like running under the pre-existing non-competitive context test, running, no track, no track and field event would be a sport essentially because there's a pre-existing non-competitive context for running. And that is run, running, you know, yeah, yeah. being mobile. But because we, because we deem that a, um, uh, a sport in antiquity, um, we also have to recognize it in, in modernity. And um, after a bunch of research, I realized that horse the the Greeks the Greeks had actually had a horse and rider version of sport in their hippodrome um, in antiquity. And so, based on the antiquities exception, I had to admit that horse racing was a sport. That's why I know that I'm not the guy to write the book. Because even if I understood and, and got all this together, I would I would definitely have a lens that just said what I wanted it to be, like that's not a sport. Yeah, and and so I tried to I tried to emphasize the um, in the book I tried to emphasize the uh, I thought that that was a really I thought that lent credibility to the enterprise um, by admitting that it was it was an activity I didn't want to deem a sport, but by virtue of the paradigm, I had to confess that it was. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Um, I had a, we had a bunch of people ask questions on what sports, um, so I'm just going to yeah. throw some at you. Um, please foosball. So foosball is, would not be a sport. So, um, so, and I'll talk for the, so we normally make physicality the principal test and it's not for some of the reasons we talked about more, but it's, it's not this 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 original purpose test is the test was it originally was its purpose originally competitive or non-competitive but there is a physicality re requirement for sport it's just a threshold one so where we where most people make it the central issue um the physicality is really a, a threshold issue so there's two parts to physicality the first is um is does it require a de minimis amount of physicality and de minimis is just a the Latin word for trifling or not very much. So just like, a, a, and I, I go into some more detail in the book about it, basically just a, a, a limited amount of physicality, basically, basically more than I basically equate it to more than would be required to basically be a U, UPS driver. Yeah. It's not that much. So video games. So video games would not qualify, but yeah. I'll explain in a second. The second part of the physicality requirement is the in combination requirement. So it, it has to be a de minimis amount of an in of a combination of two or more of these six basic athleticism or physicality requirements. So it's speed and quickness, uh, strength or power, agility, uh, balance, um, and, uh, and endurance, endurance. So you have to have two of those at the same time. So what happens with foosball and cornhole and darts is they have no pre-existing non-competitive context. They were, in other words, they were competitive in their first iteration. So foosball is a competitive game. So it kind of, it clears that, that main hurdle, but it only has, it only has, um, the eye-hand coordination piece after that. So it doesn't really have, it doesn't really have a more than de minimis amount of two or more of those athleticism pieces. And so same thing with like darts where you have this eye-hand coordination, but it doesn't require, um, it doesn't have sort of the strength or the quickness sort of elements in combination. So that's why those fail. And so those sort of, sort of naturally kind of find their water level as, as games. Yeah. Um, what about spike ball? Spike ball? Yeah. Then you write about that in the yeah, book. Yeah. So spike. I did. So spike ball is in um, is in a footnote. So I, there's a footnote that basically says, as a general rule of thumb, uh, activities ending in ball uh, are sports. You know, to conclude, you know, 
uh, lamello and pickle and spike or something like that. So it's like in a, it's like in a, like a little string for, I, I, I'm pretty sure. So I, I have deemed, I deem spike ball. A, I, I think under the, under the um, rubric spike ball is a sport because it requires eye hand coordination and the speed and quickness and the, uh, and the agility component. The, in the, the book goes into this in the, in the physical, um, in the, the, uh, the physical requirement chapter, but <clears throat> again, these, these physical attributes aren't, it's not a question of whether you have to perform these physical demands at the highest conceivable level, because you, most of us can't, yeah. most of us perform that, but whether it sort of requires of you something, something of a, above sort of a de minimis demand on these sort of athletic um, attributes and whatever amount you personally hold them. So spike ball um, to me qualifies under uh, the rubric. And I think spike ball is a good example of how the definition allows for as of yet not even imagined activity. So it's not that it's not that we can't develop new sports. We just can't take things that were regular life things yeah. and overlay um, scoring on top of it. Yeah. Have you ever played spike ball? Um, I, I have. Yes, I have. We, and I've we used to play watched, all the time. I've watched it. I've watched a little. I haven't watched a ton. I haven't played a ton, and I, and I, I, I uh, um, uh, I've watched a little bit of the uh, the recent uh, uh, television coverage of some of the collegiate. Uh, competition. It's wild for me because I'd reached out to them like a long, long time ago when they first, they weren't even in stores and just said like, hey, like marketing wise, I'd love to help tell your story. I think this is cool. And then it's wild to see them now like on ESPN2 or like, like, they they just went completely ground floor and just were at every beach and got people excited about it and then started leagues and it's crazy. It's a cool game. Um, somebody, sport. somebody commented and asked if, um, like a legal trial is a sport. If what like is a legal trial, a legal trial? No, it definitely does. It, it's so that's a great, that's a great question because it's adversarial and competitive in the first instance, uh, by definition, it's literally an adversarial system. It just doesn't, re- it just doesn't meet the, uh, the, um, the, the physicality requirements. I mean, it doesn't, um, it can be performed essentially with yeah. none of the uh, none none of the athleticism elements, and I, I clarify this too. I mean, everything we do is biological. Yeah. yeah. So when we talk about the athleticism requirements, you know, we're obviously talking. That's why this de minimis requirements there. We're talking about something above above the the regular demands on your biology. I mean, even even your mental functioning, and this is talked about in the book i mean even your mental functioning is a is a is a biological experience it's the it's the neurological um it's the neurological activity in the wetware of your brain so um so when we're, we're talking about physical i mean everything in a in a very technical sense could be defined as physical but we're talking about these particular groupings of physical movement in a certain quantum so where did you? So no, legal trial would not qualify. Uh, where did you put uh, speed walking? So speed walking is uh, is definitely so speed walking, prancer size, it, all any iteration of these things is not a sport oh, because thank goodness, it's it's not, <laughs> it's not a sport. There's no way uh, it would it would meet the. Now you got to be careful though. So I, I'm I make I make this repeated case in. Um, you know, in the book, I mean, it's, this is not, um, the, the goal of the book is not to disparage certain activities. Um, you know, sport is not better or superior to cancer research or of course, of course, fire rescue, um, or to surfing. They, the point is just to properly characterize them. So it's not, my job is my, my goal isn't to to be pejorative toward prancer size or speed walking. It's just to identify it for what it is. And because those things have a pre-existing non-competitive context, namely motoring, um, yeah. not sports, no matter 
no matter how impressively you do them. I wouldn't. And I really think, you know, we talk about NASCAR. To me, the quintessential, I call it sort of the prime meridian, the quintessential activity is surfing. Um, because, I mean, essentially, other than something like free solo climbing, you, you can't think of something more difficult for a human to physically accomplish. And yet, again, it sort of subconsciously doesn't feel like sport. It's difficult. It's difficult to, you know, to adjudicate. Um, and then the other thing is a lot of these activities actually carry an ethos of non-competitiveness. So it actually, it's actually, un, I wouldn't say everybody feels this way, but it's actually somewhat unnatural to make surfing competitive. I mean, it's, it's ethos, it's cultural and historical ethos is literally one of kind of like, you know, cooperate, you know, it, it, it's either sort of, you know, universalist oneness with, with all that there is or it's companionship and fellowship. And so we come to surfing. I mean, surfing is this great example because you come to surfing knowing that it's way harder to do than volleyball, but feeling like this isn't quite in the same category. And it's because it's pre-existing non-competitive context wasn't or it's a pre-existing context wasn't competitive. It was non-competitive, and it's it's um, it's an athletic for that reason. Uh, I'm trying to remember why I said all that. What did you ask me about? Um, I, I think we oh we were talking about first we started on speed walking, and then you got into like NASCAR and oh yeah yeah. I was just saying I just I think I think that I, I think I would all oh, I was talking about the rehabilitation of sport, and so I, that's what I was talking. About. I was I sort of was talking about. Um, this not being a superiority complex sort of yeah, yeah. exercise. And so it's not because I think less of surfing. I mean, I, uh, you can't, I couldn't possibly esteem a physical accomplishment more than I would surfing. Um, but it needs to be its own thing. And it, it, it's an athletic, if not a sport. I think it's funny. One, I appreciate your posture on the whole topic. Um, but I, you said it early and I think it was gold just that it's not personal. Like in the people that don't care about this argument until you say something that offends them. And then it's like, Oh, well, hold on. Um, I think that's probably everything in life, which is part of the fun and the beauty of like sports in general for me. Um, but we, we always up here, like our, all the guys and girls, like we banter have about this topic forever. And I would always like, cause they know me. I jokingly say like, well, I think it can be a sport if a man plays it, but if a woman right. plays it, it's not. And they're like, what? And I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. But it's, like working through this um, like process of what isn't isn't a sport. Like having a baby, uh, I can't. After watching my wife go through that, I can't think of anything harder. Exactly. I can't think of anything harder than that. And but it's not right. But it's not a sport. Not a sport. And and but it, it, it not only is it not a sport, but it's sort of evidence that that can't possibly be the test. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think it's just an interesting. No, and topic. I, I think I and I think the fun of I think the fun of being, and I call it relegation, but like in the book, but like being relegating and like mocking, you know, if you're a big football guy, mocking. I mean, that's sort of part of the fun of the debate, and I get that. Um, but and and that can that will continue. And in fact, I've had <laughs> I've been having this conversation for five plus years now with people and even people that I've had that I've explained the test to over and over again, who actually, um, sort of agree with me. You, you kind of sort of can't shake the instinct to just debate over the physicality. Just, it's just sort of always there, but you run over once you, once you kind of understand what the real test is, what you realize is that it's just a fool's errand. I mean, you're, you're because you can't you can't make you can't make effective distinctions between all of the universe of human activity based on physicality because there's too just too much of it that's demanding that's not in fact sport. So, yeah, it's I think that's the beauty and the fun of it. I think it's kind of uh, I think what I'm excited about is it's cool to have a framework because I, I don't think anything you said. Um, and definitely don't mean this rude, but I don't think anything you said like blew my mind when it came to like the definition, but I don't think I've ever heard it before your book put together. So like now I'm looking at it like before, um, cause I'm real bad, whether it be arguing about what a sport is or even just, um, who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron, I'll argue one fact 
And then if it's in another instance, I'll argue the same fact I was arguing against. And so I think it's cool right. to have some kind of a test to say, hey, does it walk through these? Um, and so I'm excited to go and show Jared, like, hey, you've been wrong 13 times. You know, <laughs> you know. Well, and that's you're an why idiot. it's nice to be, it's sort of like, there's a, like, like there's a shtick of false humility where I try to sort of say, look, I didn't define it. I've, it's sort of, it's sort of been, it's sort of been lying there for discovery. It's like a, you know, it's, it's, it's like a scientific discovery, but I actually, to your point, I, I actually sort of mean that. Like, I, I feel like I've just put sort of word bones to the thing that we were all, we've all been reacting to all along, but we just didn't know it. And that's why I talk about NASCAR and surfing so much is like, you look at it and you're like, something's not, this, this is not, this is not what we call sport, but I can't put my finger on it. So the, that test was sitting there all along and, um, you know, now it's just sort of down on paper. So like, like you said, it's not, it's not epiphanal in the sense, I think everybody, it's not epiphanal in the sense that it's a, it's a new idea. It was kind of always informing on some level people subconsciously in the debate. They just didn't know. Yeah. It. I appreciate too, the, uh, the, table of contents just with heck having yes. all the sports laid out. Cause I like was going through there reading them and I was like, Oh, the bachelor. And they're <laughs> like, is it a sport? And I was like, I'm, I'm going to guess now, but like you can, you know, go through and read it. But it's like got a lot of different you, stuff. I mean, you covered a lot of stuff. Well, and you know, normally an index comes at the end of a book, but I, I specifically wanted it at the front because I wanted people to have a feel about the breadth of not only what I kind of is touched on, but kind of how broadly, how broadly applicable the framework is. I mean, it really can it really can delineate any particular activity, you know, based based on it. So, and it and it you know makes it clear that it's it's going to be a little bit fun and lighthearted. So, what uh, do you have people now that just want to argue with you about uh, what sports are and aren't? Yeah. So so far. So I, I'm after, I've talked 10,000 man hours about this, this topic with people. The problem is, the problem is at this point in its, um, in its sort of, and, you know, a lot of it's been with friends and family and that kind of stuff. The problem is I come in, I come in with such a, um, a, a conceptual advantage to the conversation because, because <laughs> I'm the one who made it all up that everybody's kind of like, a, like kind of a little bit on their heels, right? Because yeah, yeah. like to your point, normally everybody's on the same footing. You're just like you're just sort of yelling about, you're just yelling about the sport and that kind of. And, and there's not any sort of like linear logic to the conversation. It, it, here I'm, I sort of have like a little bit too much firepower, so it sort of puts people back on their heels a little bit. So at this point, what happens is everybody has this sort of like, everybody has this sort of like predictable string of. Um, and it didn't really sort of happen in our conversation today, but there's usually this like very predictable uh, set of questions and observations people have. And there's sort of responses to each one kind of at, as you sort of go. And so what will happen is I usually sort of talk about it, and then someone will say, like, what about the 100-yard dash? And then that will implicate the antiquities exception. So this is very sort of like predictable progression. So most of my conversations, because it's <laughs> because it's a, the framework's a little clunky and a little foreign to everybody – they kind of, they kind of, they're, they're long and really, really fun. I wound up having this like 20 minute conversation with like my entire office the other day, but, um, they wind, they wind up a little bit like ending in sort of like concession. And, but I think as people, but I, I think as people, I'm, my, my hope obviously is that people eventually read this book and some high pro, you know, podcasts and people that are in the industry, like y'all, wind up reading as people get it, really be are able to digest it um i think there's going to be some people who i think there's going to be some increasing blowback both on the uh both on the framework and on the uh on its application in any particular activity so. i also want to give you credit too for your um your gofundme thanks what you set that up man was genius um you could not have laid that out any better man it was great well i appreciate it i um I was a little self, so I loved the idea. I wasn't sure I was executing it a really great way. I thought it was going to get a lot more traction than it did, not just in the sense that it would raise more money, but I thought, to your point, I thought it would be, 
I thought people would think it was a um, it was a way of me to talk about the book and ask for a little bit of money without, you know, where I was really just sort of still talking about the book. But um, but I think people I think people were still trying to kind of digest what in the world uh, I was doing. I mean, some of this has been a little bit of a whiplash for people because I have I have a little bit of a built in audience, but it's all been on the music side. Yeah. And so. Um, some of this has felt, and I've had a lot of support from people, but I think some of the people have been trying to figure out, um, kind of where, where this is coming from and how, how serious I was about it all. Yeah. Well, uh, after we, we end this here in just a second, I'll, I'll get all that information from you links and stuff, and then we'll, um, we'll fire it out, man. I, I think it's, uh, I think it's such a different idea. I think the first time I heard that you did it, I, I looked at Jared and was like, man, why didn't we do this? This is genius. <laughs> But you were definitely the guy to do it. Um, but hey, we we in this podcast, we try to do it every week, um, and I'm excited to hear your answer. But we like just a word of wisdom for people. So it can be, it can be anything. I mean, it can be business. It can just be life. Like whatever's on your heart. Like if people listening to this, what's something from you um, that you've learned um, that you'd like to just share today? Um. I am not the person to come to for life wisdom. I would start with that massive qualification. Neither are we. I definitely am not. Um, I just think that we think about our responsibilities in life in a very inverted way. And this book and music and all are kind of emblematic of that. I think a lot of us are racing to make our legacy and to, um, to accomplish something in the world. And we forget about accomplishing our most proximate responsibilities. And, um, and so we, a lot of times we wind up failing in our most proximate responsibilities as we're, as we're pursuing these um, preposterous larger ones that, that sometimes aren't even ours to claim. And so um, I haven't been able to do this in my life, but I would just encourage people to be vigilant about your most proximate and immediate responsibilities first. And... Um, if you do that, I think you're going to be afforded the opportunity to be responsible with, with bigger and more uh, life-altering things. Mm. So. I have a theory, man, that anybody who before they give advice or wisdom say, I'm, I'm not the person, um, that's the person you should listen to. Well, I think that's what, that's what I'm I learning. Screwed, I screwed that up because <laughs> <laughs> that, was not the, that was not the signal I was trying to give. Oh, I know. Because <laughs> if it was a signal you're trying to give, it would ruin it. Man, I, I really appreciate your time. We'll chat after this. Um, but anything else you want people to places they can find you? We'll put it in the description. But any anything else? Uh, no, I mean I, I really just appreciate you having me on and talking to me about it all. And um, you you can find me uh, on on uh, Twitter at uh, syntax. That's with an I S I N T A X underscore D S five. Um, and then uh, the book is available on Amazon.com. You can just search what is sport. Um, and then uh, you, you can also find some other information about what I do at, at thefreshjunket.com. Cool. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. I've been scribbling words on a cocktail napkin, scratching a lucky strike ad madmen. My rapping is sort of old fashioned, window shopping, hip hop and mannequin. Roger to his Don Draper, we make songs, elevator music, rock to the PM Dawn, copping a new John, mocking your crew song. I'm dope in the pocket, plus hot with a suit on.